Today, we're going to learn about the beauty of community and the gift that it is to us and to the world when we learn to live together in unity. Someone asked me what I miss most from the way things used to be. That's easy. I miss being together. I miss sitting in the coffee shop, going to a friend's house, having friends over and laughing together. I miss seeing everyone on Sunday mornings, conversations in between the services. I miss what it feels like to look people right in the eye when I talk about Jesus. I miss the gift of life together. I'm sure most of you miss that too. There is beauty in being together, not just physically, but emotionally and spiritually too. And that's because God made us for unity. Listen to the opening line in Psalm 133. How very good and pleasant it is when kindred live together in unity. When God's people live at peace with one another, it's beautiful. Because that's how God made life to be. When we are for each other, kind and gentle and benevolent. When we listen and help and bear with each other, when we remind one another of God's goodness, then life is pleasant and very good. And anyone who fosters life like this for other people becomes beautiful. Today, we're going to spend some time with a man of unusual wisdom and courage. Some of you already know him. This is Dietrich Bonhoeffer. If he's new to you, I'm happy that I get to introduce him because in many ways, he was a man of real beauty. And he has something good to teach us, especially for where we find ourselves today. Bonhoeffer was born in Germany in 1906. His father was a prominent psychiatrist, his mother a teacher, and he was a very bright kid. At 14, he surprised his family by announcing that he wanted to study theology. He went to the University of Berlin, where he was a real standout. He was 21 when he got his doctorate. His dissertation was a study on the communion of saints. Already as a young man, he had a deep interest in the importance of Christian community. After graduating, he spent some time abroad, including a year in New York City, where he studied at Union Theological Seminary. Unfortunately, he didn't find the classes very engaging, and the churches in Manhattan were even worse because, as he put it, they preached about everything except the gospel of Jesus Christ. It was pretty bleak for him at first, but things changed because of a new friend. Franklin Fisher, an African-American student who had an internship at a church in Harlem, Abyssinian Baptist Church. Franklin brought Bonhoeffer with him to worship one Sunday, and it changed him. Bonhoeffer had never experienced anything like it. The singing and the preaching the proclaiming of the gospel, the way that people shared life together, and the way that they welcomed him. For the rest of his time in the States, it became his church too. 
and it had a more profound impact on him than any other experience he had. In this beautiful community, he became convinced that theology was only worthwhile if it helped God's people live together faithfully in their day-to-day -day lives, in real community as God intends. In 1931, Bonhoeffer returned to Germany a different man. He took a job back in Berlin, lecturing in systematic theology, and discovered that while he'd been away, Germany had changed too. A new name had risen to prominence in politics. Hitler had surged in popularity. And while most people had no idea of the evil that was on the horizon, Bonhoeffer could sense where things were headed. In February of 1933, just two days after Hitler was installed as chancellor, Bonhoeffer delivered a radio address, attacking the Fuhrer directly. This new leader, he said, will turn out to be a misleader. The broadcast was cut off mid-sentence. Within months, the Nazi party essentially took over the German church. Bonhoeffer and a few other leaders worked at resistance, but the results were really disappointing. More than half of the German churches gave in to Nazi rule. It's hard to imagine. Feeling hopeless, Bonhoeffer moved to England to become a pastor in London. But while he was there, he couldn't shake a conviction God needed him to build something beautiful back in Germany where things were becoming so ugly. A call came in 1935 from a group of faithful dissidents. Come back. Start an underground seminary where you can train pastors to be faithful ministers of the gospel. Build community right here in Germany. That's what's needed right now. Listen. True community makes the gospel visible right here in the world. And it's beautiful in a way that has tremendous power especially when the world is growing darker because divisions are growing stronger. Bonhoeffer decided to leave England and to move to Finkenwald, a little village in the northeast of Germany, and there he got to work building a secret seminary. Christian community would be at the very center of everything he did. The students and teachers would live together, eat and clean up together. They would pray together and worship together and sing the songs from Franklin Fisher's church in Harlem together. And they would study together too. He wrote a book for his students. It's called Life Together. It's a book that I got to read when I was in seminary, all about the gift of Christian community, not just for future pastors, but for all who see the need for the beauty of community and wants to be at work building even in times of ugliness. The first sentence in his book 
is the first line in Psalm 133, a psalm which clarifies what it takes to make community work. Let me tell you up front the four things that community requires. They are unity, diversity, forgiveness, and a miracle every day. Let's look together again at the first line of Psalm 133. How very good and pleasant it is when kindred live together in unity. There it is plain as day. The first thing that true community requires is unity, togetherness, a commitment to getting along, an agreement that deep down beneath all of our differences, we're on the same team. When we live like that together, the psalmist says it is very good. In Hebrew, the word is tav, like when someone makes a toast and says mazel tav. The word means good in the sense of right, correct, as it was meant to be. When God made the world and put it together just as he intended, he described it as very good, tav. Unity is very good like that. It's what God made us for, and you can't have community without it. Now, if you were reading this psalm on your own and paying close attention, you would see this point made even before the psalm begins. Up there, beneath uh, the number Psalm 133, in small print, it's written, A Song of Ascents. This is a song that is meant to be sung by all the people together. Uh, try to picture this. Three times a year, God's people traveled to the city of Jerusalem from far and wide for the yearly festivals. And as they walked, they sang songs together, pilgrim songs. All of these different people from different villages and different regions and different tribes singing this one song together. Now, the tribes didn't always get along. They didn't see everything just the same way. They had grievances against each other. There was mistrust and jealousy and resentment too. But even so, as they made their way to worship God, they all sang the same song. Words given to them by God to sing. What unified them? And the only thing that can unify us is God's word, which he has given to us like this song was given. The word which tells us you are united because you all need me just the same. And you are united because I've given myself for all of you equally. When you receive my love and pass it along, you are unified and that is very good. The first thing true community requires is unity. But here we must be careful because unity does not mean uniformity. The second thing that true community requires is diversity. Picture again all of those people traveling to Jerusalem. In the one unified people of God, there were 12 different tribes by God's design, all of them singing this same song, but each one in its own voice 
with their own traditions, their own grasp of faith, shaped by where they lived and what life was like for them, given all of their unique challenges, all very different, but all one, unified and diverse. The tribe of Levi were the priests. They were really religious. The tribe of Naphtali, they were the fighters. Picture military families. The tribe of Zebulun, they were the business people working in the marketplace. Every tribe with its own character, in its own way of relating to God, not by mistake, but because God made them different from one another. A beautiful diversity, unified by his calling, even in their distinction from one another. Community requires diversity. That's second. And that means for you and for me, if we want the beauty of true community, we will have to accept that people united to us by God will also be different from us. Maybe in ways that will feel really significant. We will have different ideas about what matters most. Our political commitments will be at odds sometimes. Maybe our convictions about ethical issues that we're both passionate about will be in conflict. That's okay. God has not made us uniform. And that means our diversity does not have to mean disunity. Here's what Jesus wants to say to us. Your job is not to make everyone just like you. Don't try to eliminate all the differences. Let me manage the changes that need to come. Your job is to love the people God has put you together with. Walk with them. Journey together. Break bread with one another and worship together. Pray with each other. Talk about the issues, of course, but mostly sing the same song together, the song that God gives. Pilgrim songs like this one. Songs about how good it is when you live together in unity. Songs about how much we need something beautiful right now. And if we keep going in this song, we'll hear a third thing that life together in true community requires. Listen carefully. This is verse two. It is like the precious oil on the head running down upon the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down over the collar of his robes. You know how sometimes it's hard to understand what song lyrics mean? This will be one of those times for most of us. But if we had been singing on our way to Jerusalem with our tribe, we would know right away what this means. Life together requires forgiveness. That's the third thing. Aaron, with his robes and collar and beard, is a picture of the priest set apart by God through a ritual of anointing with precious oil blended with liquid myrrh, fragrance, cinnamon, cassia, and aromatic cane, an extravagant expense created specifically to set Aaron apart for his sacred priestly task to serve as an instrument of forgiveness. 
amongst people who would need forgiveness over and over again. If we are going to dwell together in unity with our diversity, then we will have to practice forgiveness over and over again. In the psalmist picture, the oil is not just dabbed, but dumped out all over. This is a promise. When we dwell together as God intends, he'll provide plenty of oil for everyone and we'll need every drop because true community will require an abundance of grace for forgiveness. Life together will require lots of that. But here, God is telling us that he is faithful and he will give us everything we need. Everything that you need and everything that other person who you're still at odds with will need. God will provide. One more. This last line also will require explanation. Verse 3. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. The vegetation in the valley around Mount Hermon stays alive during the dry summer months because of the dew that falls every morning. During the day, some of the snow from the peak evaporates and then condenses, covering the plants and the fruit trees on the hills with a thick coat of water when the sun rises. It's like rain every morning. Without this dew, everything dies. The mountains of Zion, they are 120 miles south of Mount Hermon. It would take a miracle for the dew to travel that far, but here is where the songwriter is picturing the fourth lesson for us. True community requires a miracle every day. Otherwise, there is no way it will survive. And the promise of God to all who are desiring to be together, united in him, is that he will provide what is necessary for life together, which is a miracle every day. The gospel writers tell us that he already has, and we can trust that he always will. Listen, Jesus has given the miracle of his love, which was extended to every one of us, even when we were sinners. The miracle of his decision to unite himself to us. The miracle of the exchange that took place when he gave himself on the cross for each one of us. The miracle of his resurrection and the new life that he lives in and among us even now. And the miracle of his mercies, which the Bible tells us are new every morning, just like the dew which keeps everything alive is new every morning against all odds. True community requires unity, diversity, forgiveness, and a miracle every day. And God has given us everything needed. We are invited to become builders with him, making something beautiful right where we are with the people that God has put us with, whether that's in Harlem or in Germany or in Summit or Springfield, or whichever town you live in, or the family that God has put you with, or in the classroom you'll be in tomorrow, or with the friends that you've got, this is what true community requires. I imagine it must have been 
amazing to be in Bonhoeffer's classroom with him. His book, Life Together, gives us a taste of it. Reading it opens our eyes to what God still can do today. It's a real gift. Some of you will be discussing the ways he taught students to commit to serving one another in your community groups. I hope that if you haven't, you'll choose to join one and learn together with others from this extraordinary teacher, a man whose life was beautiful as it showed the gospel, not only in his teaching and work at building community, but in his willingness to stand up for what was right, no matter what it meant. His work at the seminary was short-lived. He was arrested in 1943. For a year and a half, Bonhoeffer was imprisoned awaiting a trial that would never come. But instead of languishing in jail, he built a new community even in the prison. He led worship services and Bible studies, not only for his fellow prisoners, but for the guards too. Think about that. The evil that the Nazis were perpetuating is beyond imagining, and yet Bonhoeffer invited the very men who were holding him prisoner to his Bible studies, and they came. One guard was so moved by the depth of kindness he saw in Bonhoeffer that he offered to help him escape. But he declined. He didn't want to put family members in danger of Nazi reprisal. And then on April 8th, 1945, just as he concluded his Sunday service, Bonhoeffer was led away to be executed. He spoke one final word to a fellow prisoner who made it out alive when the camp was liberated just weeks later. This is the end, Bonhoeffer said, but for me, it's the beginning of life. Bonhoeffer knew that Jesus had defeated death on his behalf. And he lived the way he did because he believed that Jesus did that for everyone. And the body of Christ is right here among us because of it. And every one of us, every one of you, is invited to participate in the beauty of community that can only take place with a miracle every day. And the Spirit is telling us even now that God has given that miracle and he always will. And he calls us into community, asking every one of us to step forward in faith right where God has put us. What will you do? That's the question I believe Bonhoeffer would ask us right now. You know in your heart what God is calling you to. Let's ask him now to help us, each one of us, take a step where God means us to. God, we thank you for the beauty that inspires us in lives like the life Bonhoeffer lived. We thank you for the way it gives us something to aspire to. We ask 
in humility now that you would help every one of us live right where we are in a way that shows the gospel and in that way is beautiful. God, wherever we need to strive for unity and accept diversity and work at forgiveness, help us see with our eyes opened how you are providing the miracle that we need to do that even now. And then with joy and gratitude, help us receive that miracle. We ask for our church altogether to become a place that is beautiful as it becomes a community that shows the gospel. We ask for our families and our friendships and the people you've connected us to in our neighborhoods and in our work to become small, beautiful communities with your help. And then, God, we ask that even when it becomes dark, that we would not lose heart, but instead we would trust you to provide what's necessary and be courageous, to stand up for what's right, and in that way, shine the beauty of your light right where we are. Oh God, give us your spirit so that we can shine. And then lastly, God, we ask you to help us sing beautifully all together. In Jesus' name, amen.